Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby of Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. It's funny how God prepares us whenever we have to speak, and it was kind of funny, me and Ty were talking about this week. If, if you want to get in the Word, uh, just volunteer to preach. Yeah, that's when, that's when you learn the most, so... Uh, you know, the past few months, I've kind of had a, a question that's been laid on my heart, and I couldn't really figure out the answer. It's taken me quite a while. And, and it came from, you know, I hear lots of, I, I listen to tons and tons of sermons, and I, and I was just thinking out loud one day, talking to myself, going down the road. That's really not unusual, if you really know me. Um, but um, I just figured, you know, we hear so many sermons about serving and loving others. And, and we're always going out and serving. And this is probably, this, this community of people goes out and serves more than any other uh, body of Christ that I've ever been around. And I couldn't be more proud of it. Um, but, you know, we hear so much on serving and loving other people. And, and I just had the question of, of how do you accept love? I mean, the opposite of giving love. How do you truly accept love? Because I know in our world... Our cowboy culture world, we have a very hard co- time accepting love. We, we use 50% more energy to come up with some excuse on why we shouldn't be loved and to just say thank you most of the time. Um, so it was a, really quest- a real question of mine is how do we accept love? Well, is it a pride thing? Do you lay down your pride? Well, of course you do. I mean, you can't write a sermon about that. You're done in 10 minutes. So I just kept thinking and asking people and asking mentors, you know, what they thought and and. I kind of came to the conclusion, and I'll, I'll give it to you today. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 John 4, 18 and 19. Um, what I came up with was, is basically, my mind kind of went from 1 Corinthians 13. Paul writes, if we don't have love, we have nothing. And, and it's kind of, God has put us in the most precious position to be loved. If Without the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, we... We, there would be no opportunity for love. And, and even if a, um, Adam and Eve would have made, wouldn't have ate the apple and sin wouldn't have brought in, been brought into the world, we would not be able to really accept love. If we lived in a perfect world, there would be no need for love. So we're kind of in a unique position in this earth, on earth and where we're at in our lives where love is actually a subject. And so 1 Corinthians 13 took me to Romans 5, 8, in which God demonstrated his own love for us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ still died for us. And also thinking about the first commandment is thou shall have no other gods before me. That means you love God first. And the word first, loving God first. And that brought me to 1 John four nineteen. We love because he first loved us. The second part is actually the first part. That's your answer to the question right there. Is we love because he first loved us. God, God is the first part. We can't love and truly, until we've truly accepted God into our lives. And... Those of you, again, who know me really well know that I will get really fired up about the crucifixion because I, I get so frustrated whenever churches just numb the crucifixion down. Um, all, a lot of times all we hear is some guy died 2,000 years ago to save us and his name was Jesus and he loves us with compassionately. And Kevin touched us on this a couple of weeks ago, which, which guy wants to have an intimate relationship with another man that wants to just love you and hug on you, you know, that was... So numbed down for me. And, and, and so whenever that happened, you know, I, I really got into the study of the crucifixion and what Rome and what the history behind it all was. And, and it's crazy to know what Jesus went through. And I'm talking about this today because 
you can't truly love until you know exactly what Jesus went through. And I'm going to talk about it today, maybe in too much detail, I don't know. But I want to be really, really, really real whenever I talk about it. Um, so, I'll start off with, with Jesus the, the night after he was captured. Right then, you know, they, they, they ordered him the 39 lashing with the cat of nine tails. I don't know if you're familiar, familiar with the cat of nine tails, but it's a whip. It's got tassels on the end of it with teeth in the end. And the only reason that they gave him 39 lashings is because it was illegal to go 40. Because no man had ever lived past 39 in Rome. And so they ordered him to 39 lashings. That was just the beginning. You know, um, after that, it's not just, I know a lot of movies portray it. We, we watch the crucifixion and all this stuff. A lot, of, a lot of them portray it as we just, Jesus just had these cuts on him. No, a cat of nine tails, whenever it's designed, whenever a, a, a person is chained to a stump like this, they're basically on their hands and knees, they're chained to a stump and they're with their back showing, their bare back. And so when, whenever they get whipped, they get whipped across and that, that cat of nine tails goes across them and literally rips the flesh off of people. I mean, it's pretty gruesome, right? That was just the first part of what Jesus went through for us. So after the end of 39 lashings, he ba basically has organs showing. I mean, that's how much, after 39 lashings, you can only imagine. It's pretty gruesome. So after that, what do they do? They put a cotton cloak on him, right? You know how cotton feels with the bare skin. It's real itchy, let alone whenever you have a bunch of cuts on you and into your wounds. And then they put a crown of thorns on him and mashed it into his skull. Sweat, blood running down into his eyes, all of that. And then they make him carry a cross all the way to the Golgotha where he'll be crucified. I don't know how long is that, Ty? We're, as is, I'm sure, I haven't been there, but I know it's a long walk carrying a cross and he had to have help carrying it. I couldn't imagine. There was no other guy that could ever carry that cross after getting 39 lashings because it had never been done in the history of Rome. Jesus was the first one to do it and still couldn't even get the cross all the way to Golgotha. And so once they get up on top of there, they take off his cloak, they lay him down, they get, put him on the cross, and then they nail railroad-like spikes through his hands and through his feet, right? Everybody knows that part. That's probably the most painful part that people think about is that. And so they lay him on the cross, they put the cross up in the hole, they have him nailed there, and now the crucifixion was literally the most shameful way of execution that the Romans could come up with. That was like the lowest of the low. That's what the lowest of the low of criminals got in Rome was crucified. And so it was only fitting that Jesus died as, as a servant and that him putting himself in that position to be crucified. He could call down legions of angels to save himself, but he didn't. And so they lay him up on the cross. I remember that crown of thorns in his, is in his head. He's got sweat and blood running down his eyes, into his eyes, into his face. He couldn't even wipe it out of his face because he's crucified. And so the way the body is structured when you get into the biology of the crucifixion is... Whenever a body is stretched out and it's only hanging by two arms like that, your diaphragm cuts off air to your lungs, so you'll suffocate in a matter of seconds. So the point of putting nails through the feet on the crucifixion was so guys would have to push up with their feet to get air. All right? And so Jesus, I mean, this is after the 39 lashings, after the walk, after everything and crucified, and Jesus is having to push up to get air. He's breathing, right? You can just picture it. My, my mind works in pictures. I don't know if anybody else does, but my mind does, so I'm picturing it. Jesus is pushing up with his feet, right? Imagine the torture he's going through. 
Now, they didn't do it to Jesus, but in the crucifixion, when they crucified other people in Rome, once they... Um, once the guards got tired of watching people suffer, they'd take a club and they'd break the shins of the prisoners. That way they would suffocate. Their life would end quick. But Jesus didn't make it to that part. He died, you know, the spear in the side. That's how they thought, and that's how he knew he was dead. When a body dies and decomposes, water comes out like that. That's how they knew he was dead. So, we're thinking of that. We're thinking of the people cursing Jesus, spitting on him, calling him names. All that stuff while he's being tortured and crucified. That's literally the stuff that Jesus went through on the day of his crucifixion. I don't know if, how many people are familiar with that gruesome detail, but that's super important to how we live our lives and exactly who saved us. And so when you think about um, true love, I mean, you talk Matthew twenty sixteen twenty five. you know, they're um, not even that. I've got that mixed up with a different Matthew verse, but um, greater man had greater love has no man to lay down his own life for ones he loves, right? That's what Jesus did for us. I, uh, I had a horse, um, I call him Raymond, for everybody loves Raymond, but anyways, that's beside the point, because uh, nobody loved Raymond at first. Not everybody loved Raymond. That was kind of a sarcasm. So um, when I started him, he was out of a, an old dry dock mare, and a horse called Big Swing, which is just a, a son of just a swinging peppy. He's probably dead now. I don't know. But that's beside the point. Um, out, all, the, all the colts out of this mare, everybody hated. Everybody that I talked to, colt starters, trainers, they hated them because they were just super bad-minded. Nobody got along with them. So who gets, who gets this colt? Which uh, I'm very grateful to have gotten this colt because a good friend of mine died of bone cancer giving to me. So I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll take him for sure. Little did I know after I, got to, after I got him, I got to hearing about how bad this mare was and all the colts out of her. And, and, and literally the first time I put him in the round pen was I understood why. But um, when I entered the round pen, he came after me and was pawing at me and trying to bite me just as soon as I entered the round pen. And he was, he was literally what they call a man killer, trying to do anything. I mean, with horses, it's about like people. I mean, their very first nature is, is fight or flight, one of the two. Most cults are like that. It's either fight or flight. Some of them fly and some of them fight. Most of them fly, but very few of them actually fight. And those are the ones where you can get in a lot of trouble at. So it took me three days to even get this horse to take his hindquarters. I mean, just to give his hindquarters. He knew what I wanted the whole entire time. Because he'd give it once and I'd pet him and let him know that's exactly what I wanted. He licked his lips and then the very next day it was like somebody knocked him in the head and he completely forgot everything. So... I didn't get him saddled the first day. That was just, I took a little bit and went with it. I didn't push too much. So the second day, same thing. It was a little easier. I got his hindquarters. Now I was saddling him and I was doing all my usual groundwork, patting my saddle pad, you know, getting him ready for me to throw a saddle up on him. That way he doesn't get scared. And you have to start all over when you start your colts, whenever they get scared. And then you get, then all, all, everything breaks loose. So I'm doing, being all not easy with him because when you get easy with these colts, that's when you get hurt. You got to, be pretty moderate, but not too aggressive. And so when you're starting them, you know, I'm getting him the saddle on. And, and I finally got to where at the end of the second day, I pulled my cinch and both my cinches tight. And I let him go around the round pin and feel it out. And he bucked around a little bit and got done with it. And though that was exactly what I wanted. So I caught him, took him to the round pin, had to rope him to catch him because he was in flight mode by then. He had too much that day. And so I took him to the middle of the round pin, pet him. Loved on him, wiped his eye boogers out, had all over him, unsaddled him, 
next day I come back out and he's a little better. He's not quite as flighty. And he actually met me at the gate when I went to halter him. It was a little different. And I get in a round pin. I pull his head around. You know, when you, when, when you pull a horse's head around, it relaxes him. And so I pull his head around. I got my arm over him. Pull his head and wipe his eyes out. Wipe his eye boogers out first. Let him know I care about him. Showing him some love. And that day I ended up, within 15 minutes, I wallowed around on him and pet him all over. 15 minutes went by. I was on him. First ride was done in 10 minutes. It took me 30 minutes the whole entire time, and it was done. That was all I wanted for him from the day. That's what I was working for from the very first day that I started him. It was just for that. And then I quit him. And then 10 days go by, and I've decided I'm going to ride him out in the yard. First time, I took him home, uh, back to my parents, and I rode him in the yard. And the uh, very first pen that we walk into, he uh, first time he's ever seen an automatic water. And with a, it's got a pin, big pin of fat cattle. And so fat cattle are scary anyways whenever you're a 900-pound colt, and they weigh 1,200. So, <laughs> so you're riding in there, and... and uh, uh, I had this horse soft and bending and really given right whenever, I mean, pressure and release. And so this water tank starts spewing because uh, fat cattle love messing with water tanks. And it's, they're about like Holsteins. But um, sorry, Holstein lovers. Anyways, um, so I, I get back to it. And I don't, I'm looking at this pin of cattle because I'm looking at stuff. See if we got, usually in fat cattle, there's not a lot of respiratory stuff. So you're mostly looking at feet and eyes and stuff, make sure everything's good. And I just feel myself sinking. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, he's just sinking. And all of a sudden, I look down, and my horse is sinking lower and lower and just starts shaking. And I can't tell what he's shaking at. And pretty soon, my boots are about that far off the ground. He's, he's laying down. His front feet are in front of his head. <laughs> and, and he's just shaking. And I, I noticed it's the water tank that was scaring him. And so I was like, well, it's fixing to be flight mode, so you better, better be ready for whatever's fixing to come next. You, there's nothing you can do. You can't get off. I mean, you're going to get in a wreck if you do, so you might as well just sit there. And uh, so I just grab my horn, and all of a sudden, he leaves and blows out of there. And literally, five steps into it, I pick him up one-handed. He stops, gives, and that was it. I walk him back over the water tank. He smells it, figures out his water, takes a drink, starts pawing and playing in it like horses usually do, tries to roll around in it, and I didn't let him. But uh, had I done that on any other colt, had I not done that on him, like I did a lot of other colts, just forcing it on him and not truly loving that animal for who he is, probably would have hit the fence after that water tank went off. I mean, it, it probably wouldn't have went that well. Had that horse not been, had I not taken my time with that horse and putting all my little buttons on him to stop him whenever he runs off or does something stupid, something bad probably would have happened at 10 rides. It probably would have been 30 rides, and I probably would have been at that point. And the point I'm trying to make is whenever you give horses love. I mean, they're, you are basically their God. They know nothing else. They're trying to please you. Once you finally pass that threshold of fight or, fight or flight, which is exactly human nature, as far as when it comes to your relationship with God, it's fight or flight at first. It's the same thing. But when God loves on you and we, and we figure out that he's okay and we start to listen to him and we know it's okay. So whenever he pulls us up from the proverbial running water that we don't know, we stop and we listen to him, even though we want to run away. Which brings me back to the crucifixion. That's the type of love that God demonstrated for us. I'm putting us in the horse's position here, so you have to bear with me. That's the type of love that God's given us. Wiping our proverbial eye boogers out. That relaxes a horse like crazy. You know, it's insane how much it relaxes them. It literally lets them know that you, 
care about them, their well-being. Just that small, small little thing. You can take a crazy horse and within a week of wiping their eye boogers out and doing nothing else, so they'll meet you at the fence because they love it and they, they think you're okay. A horse's natural instinct is survival. And the same with humans. And then we get loved on. And then we finally relax and let people love on us and let God love on us, our master love on us. It's the same thing with the crucifixion. And, and I'm saying this because until we've truly accepted love, at 30 rides that horse was cut and I could put my hand down and he was doing exactly what I wanted. Now, in the middle of 30 rides, was there knockdown dragouts? There absolutely was. And it's the same way with our Christian walk. There's knockdown dragouts all the time between me and God. And guess who wins? God. Guess who won the battles with my horse? Me, even though sometimes it wasn't pretty. That's the same thing with our own lives. But at the end of the day, all the discipline that we did for that horse, all the discipline that I did to him was out of love because I wanted him to get to that point. I saw his potential and the things that he could do and the ways that he could move like a lot of other cults that I've never been around. I took that potential and I put it towards something. And that's exactly what God wants to do for us. That's how he wants to love us. That's how he wants us to receive love. That's how you receive it is that you accept what, it, what the crucifixion did for us on, for our lives. That's who we worship. You know, I've, I've heard, and I hope none of you all are big basketball fans in here, but, you know, Kobe Bryant died this week. And that guy did more for NBA than a lot of other players in the NBA. Um, a lot of people will tell you that that, the, that was their inspiration for high school sports or college sports or even pro sports. But there's so many people that I know are Christians that worshipped his death more than they worshipped God's death. What's Kobe Bryant done for you? Did he die on the cross for you? No. He was a great man. Don't get me wrong. And I'm not, I don't want anybody to be mad at me that I'm not saying he's a great man. So don't put me on record by saying that because he was. But more people worship that death than they did the death of Jesus Christ when it comes to Easter Sunday. Literally. They held parades after, uh, for him all across the country this week. Not even people get out of bed to go to Easter Sunday service for the crucifixion that happened. 2,000 years ago. I don't know if I've made my point yet. <laughs> but, uh, but that's how Jesus wants to love you. And that's what, exactly what he went through. He wasn't just some guy that died 2,000 years ago. He went through everything that I talked about earlier. All the lashings, all the getting spit on, all the getting cur cursed out, crucified. They rolled dice for his clothing while he was on the cross. And he did it for you and me. He didn't have to. He really didn't have to. But he did. I, uh, I'll close with this. Um, I usually don't tell this story a whole lot, but um, I will today. Um, I had a, a really good friend I grew up with. I, um, he, we followed each other our first year of college. Um, we went to Fort, Fort Hayes. Um, really was uh, not good for me and him to be together at that college. But um, And then I transferred, and I didn't really talk to him for about a year, year and a half. And um, all, one day, I, a lot of time went by. I really didn't talk to him. And one day, I was washing the muddy pickup. I was back for spring break, I think. And uh, no, it was, it was summer break. I had just graduated. And uh, oh, I had uh, went back and was washing the pickup at the local car wash there. And I heard a voice, familiar voice making fun of me from the back, which I knew was him because we, we always made fun of each other anyways. Um, 
And so we got to talking, and I asked him what was going on in his world, and he told me and what was all going on. And so he asked me what I was doing, and he heard that maybe I was going into ministry. I told him, yeah, I'd, I'd accepted a role as an associate pastor back in the hometown where we were at. And, uh, you know, I'd, I, we got to talking about faith and religion, and, and I went to church with him a few times as a kid. He went to a different church growing up than I did. He went to a Methodist church, and I went to a different one. Um, but um, we just jacked around whenever we were at church, though. When we were little kids, we didn't really care um, what was being preached. We were just up there to play darts in the back room or something. But um, we uh, got to talking about everything in faith, and he was talking about what I was going to do. And he was really happy for me, for what I was being chosen to do and and uh, and humbling myself to do. And, and um, you know, I we got to talking more about faith, and we got to talking more about the crucifixion. And that was whenever I was really studying all of it. So I basically told him everything I told you this morning. And... It was all still pretty new to me, but, but right there, he had posed the question that he didn't know if he was actually a Christian. You know, he'd been to church all of his life, been baptized, but he didn't know if he's really accepted Christ. He didn't know that aspect of the crucifixion. You know, it was just some guy died 2,000 years ago for us. And um, so, you know, we, he didn't know, and we got literally prayed right there at the car wash. And uh, he accepted Christ again. I don't know if he had before in his life or not. He didn't know. So we just did it again for safe measures. And two hours later, he died in a car wreck. Yep. I was one of the last people to talk to him. That was that love that God gave to me to give to him. So even though I'm talking about accepting love today, I'm really talking about sharing it. Because now you know what Jesus went through. Now you can accept what he did. Had I not accepted that and knew all the details of the crucifixion, I wouldn't have been able to relay it to him. And I don't know if he would have got saved or not. I don't know. I really don't. I don't, I don't really know what happened in his life. Um, the past few years, I really wasn't close to him. Um, but two hours later, and, and if that isn't the love of God to give you that last, that last resort chance to accept him, maybe that was, I don't know. Maybe that was his last chance to accept Christ. I don't know. But um, what a thing it was. Um, I definitely felt very humbled after that. It was, I was just a, just a tool in God's, God's life. That was really the first time I'd really, really led anybody to Christ, I guess. I didn't know I did it at the time. Um, but that was, when, that, was when, that was after a time in my life where I'd really felt the love of God and accepted the love of God. And that was the first time that I can remember that I really gave the love of God. And so that's what you're getting whenever you accept Christ into your life. When you accept what he did. You get opportunities like that. And it's not about me. It's about helping other people. It's about loving other people. That's what loving other people is. That's what accepting love and giving love that you've accepted does for you. And it's crazy when it happens. It's crazy how your life changes when it happens. But it's so great. So... Um, if you're ready to take the next step, I'll just do my last part that I usually do. We had a, a conference call last night on the Long Lakes Cowboys. If you want to become a part of that program or that, that, uh, that call that we do, that, the Bible studies that we do, the devotionals that we get, if you want to be a part of it, man, do it. It's so easy. I mean, get on the website, go to www.savethecowboy or type in Save the Cowboy on Google. Go to the actual website, not the Facebook page, the website. And when you click on it, it'll, be, it'll have a button that says Become a Long X Member. And you click on that button, fill all your information in, 
and then you're in, and then they add you on the Facebook group, and you get to be in all that. You get to be in on the conference calls. Last night, we had an awesome conference call. We had a, uh, a topic, kind of like we usually do, where the topic was is we asked, you know, all of our members, you know, kind of what they do in the mornings or at nights as far as how they spend time with God. And so people kind of went through and, um, and um, gave, uh, gave some examples of what they do. And I, re- I really like that topic because it's, Sometimes people get stuck in ruts and they just need something to just kind of kick them in the butt. So maybe something else somebody else does. And so that was a, such a great opportunity to hear what other people do. Um, I know I learned some stuff that I think I'm going to try out from different guys that are way older in faith than I am. So um, that's one of the benefits that you get out of it. So if you want to become a part of it, there's some pamphlets in the back, too, with more information about it. You can donate 10 to $100. If you donate 10 that's $120 a year. So... It's great to be a part of it, and we're so thankful for every one of y'all that are here. So with that, let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for the opportunity just to get up here and God, just just praise your name and just praise what your son Jesus did on the cross for us, Lord, because it is it is a big deal, Lord, and we thank you so much for everything that, that Jesus went through, Lord. Goodness, I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine anything like it, Lord, me myself going through it. Um, the torture, Lord, the beatings, Lord, I can't, I can't imagine. And we just thank you, Lord, for just sending your son to just go through that living hell, literally, for all of us. God, I ask that you bless everybody here this morning that's taking time out of the morning just to God with us, not only here but online, Lord, who are, whoever's listening. God, I praise you and I thank you. Lord, I ask that you bless everybody in here and be with them, Lord. If they haven't accepted you, God, God, keep convicting them to do it because just let the Holy Spirit work through them, Lord, because it's the best thing that they can ever do. Lord, it strengthens their love in so many ways. They can love their family and their friends and even themselves more just by the forgiveness that you offer and the grace and the love that you offer, and we thank you for that. Lord, I thank you for everybody here. It's your name. I ask these things and praise your name. Amen.